Good evening, good evening. Happy uh, summer to those that are like already kicking off. Uh, our summer officially starts in like two days. So I'm already starting off with my non-principal uh, clothing, in case you were wondering what's going on up here. Um, hey, I want to just read to you guys just uh, um, a few statistics about what's happening in our world today. And all you need to do is turn on um, CNN or Fox News for five minutes, and you're inundated literally with just the state of our world today. And I just want to kind of bring you guys up to speed just on three facts. That in, um, in the last 30 years, our prison population has grown over 790%. That's just in the last 30 years. The amount of doctors who are prescribing people medicine for this and then labeling them as clinically depressed has grown up, has grown 400%, 400 in the last 30 years. And then finally, one that hits um, pretty close to us here in Castle Rock, that they did a study in 2014 and there were 42,773 deaths related to suicide in the United States. It was the 10th leading cause, uh, homicide was 17. And then between the ages of 15 and 24, it was uh, number two cause. So if you've had your head buried in the sand for any length of time, welcome to what is happening in the current state of our, our world. And I say this because resting inside of this room is truly the greatest solution to any of these problems that face our community here at Castle Rock, that face Colorado, that face the nation, and face this world as a whole. Amen? And so I think what God is doing, there's some synchronicity between the messages in the last several months because God is interested in eradicating what we believe and changing our thinking so that we are empowered to be the body of Christ today, to step up and be the solution to the problems that we see right now. And we don't have to look too far, but to Isaiah 61 where Jesus Christ himself speaks a declaration of who he is and what he has come to do to understand the role in which we play in embodying Jesus Christ to the society. Let me read it. It says in Isaiah 61, a very, very familiar passage to so many of us, that the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God and to comfort all who mourn. And to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Tonight we're going to look at a couple of passages of scripture and I'm not going to have you guys always turn there. And there are two probably familiar stories. And the first one takes place in John chapter 4. The second one takes place in John chapter 5, the chapter right after that. And it's really interesting that John chapter 4 is one of several miracles that Jesus actually did in which it so frustrated and infuriated the religious people of the day, the Pharisees and Sadducees of that day, that it sparked literally a death plot for them to embark on for Jesus Christ. So I think even in that, even as we see that Jesus did these three miracles, and in response, the Pharisees and Sadducees wanted to crucify him and find a way to put him to death, we somehow uncover the plot of the enemy. We somehow uncover what gets Satan frustrated the most. Because in each three of these miracles, what happened was not just did one individual get free, but out of their freedom, 
not three, not four, but entire households, entire communities, and entire cities got free from the life of one person who said yes to Jesus Christ. And so out of that, we start to understand very quickly the plot and the plan for the enemy and what he does not want to happen. He does not want you to get free. He does not want you to get free. He does not want me to get free. Because he knows in doing so, there is a cyclical, there is a domino effect that happens in the kingdom of God. And we're going to talk about that today. Here's what's so interesting. That God, in, in all his beauty and all his splendor, he's, he's, writing, he's writing a movie with all of our lives. He's got a, a, an adventure movie in mind. That's just kind of how I see my movie. Adventure, it's got some comedy, you know. Whatever your movie looks like. But here's the thing that's interesting with us as believers. So God's writing this interesting story and there's this plot and, and there's like this climax where there's this conflict and there's this, this amazing tension to the story of where all of a sudden the story turns. And it's that amazing moment where all of a sudden, yes, this is it. But so many of us believers are quitting before we get to that point in the movie of our life. Because it's too hard. It's too difficult. Torrance, you don't, you don't understand the situations and the circumstances that I've been to. And as a result, I am relegated. I am determined to live this life because of what happened to me when I was 5 years old. Because of what happened to me when I was 22 years old. Because now those situations and circumstances somehow define me. And so we miss out on the rest of the movie. We miss out on the rest of the journey where Jesus Christ flips it. Because he is greater than any Ron Howard. He is greater than any director or any movie producers you have ever seen in your life. Because he is Jesus Christ and he is the author and finisher of our faith and the story in our lives. But the enemy, we have a very real enemy. Let's not confuse that. That one of the main ways that he attacks us is through our belief system. If he can get us to believe something that we're not, then in response, we will act in a way that is contrary to what God says. And so we look at John chapter 4 where it's the story of the Samaritan woman. And I'm just going to bring you guys up to speed. How many of you guys know the story? Raise your hand. It's hard to see you out there, okay. So Jesus is coming from Judea, from, uh, Judea and uh, he has just had this amazing, amazing time of ministry. He's going to Galilee, and Jesus in his infinite wisdom is like, you know what, I think I'm going to go to Samaria. I'm going to go to Samaria. Point is, Jews don't normally go to Samaria. Do you guys know that? They're, they're not supposed to travel there. It's a big no-no. But we all know that Jesus, if he sees a no-no, that means a yes-yes, right? Okay. So Jesus goes to Samaria. It is at noon. It's the hottest time of the day. And up walks a woman. That's why the story is called the woman at the well. And she is coming at the noon of day. And if you know the story, you know that she's coming during the hottest time of the day because she's trying to avoid everybody else in the city. And Jesus Christ realizes that, of course, this is his moment to encounter this woman at the greatest point of shame, at the greatest point of her darkness. He steps into the picture, as he always does, with love and the embrace of grace and mercy, because that is at the heart and the essence of who he is. But the reality is this woman comes in with her own filter. She comes in because by, by the imagination, because of the reality of the world she lives in, she's sleeping around, she's a harlot, she's a woman of the night, whatever you want to call that right now. And so she comes and she sees a Jewish man, she sees a rabbi, and you can only imagine because of all the things that she's done in her life, her filter is already, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I don't matter to be here, I am living in shame. And Jesus, as he does with all of us in the story of our lives, he steps in and he starts talking to her and he has a dialogue. And the amazing part about what Jesus does 
is he steps into this woman who is brokenhearted. This woman who has nothing but bondage in her life. This woman who needs good news because she is poor emotionally. And he steps in, he talks to her about her identity because the lies of her life had quickly become the identity that she had embraced. How many of you know that if you start believing ungodly beliefs about who you are, about the character of God, you are going to start living a life that is contrary to what Jesus has for you? Anybody say amen? Amen. And so this woman comes to the well with the exact same thing, living out of an identity that is false, that is not hers. And here's the crazy thing about all of us, and myself included, I'm getting ready to tell you a story, is that we don't one day just come up with ungodly beliefs and say, you know, I think I'm going to come up with the belief that I am not worthy and I don't matter. I think that's good. I'm going to start living that out today. The reality is, is that our ungodly beliefs are based upon real life situations and scenarios, but they're based upon our interpretation of it, the enemy's interpretation of it, and not God's. I grew up uh, in a great home. Mom and dad loved Jesus, and they did, an, um, they did the best that they could. And in third grade, uh, actually in second grade, I went to a school with a lot of kids that did not look like Torrance Jackson. Uh, so a lot of, I went with a lot of Van Dykens, uh, Van Der Molens, uh, Van Der Laan. Um, and so does anybody know that Vanders don't look like Torrance, right? Okay, is everybody picking up on this? Okay. And... Uh, so I stepped into this my second grade year with um, a lot of questions about life and, like, how do I even relate to these kids that all of a sudden don't look like me and don't act like me? And my parents were silent in that moment. So all year long, I was a kid that buried his, hand, his head in the sand and, and didn't really understand how to respond to the situation. And so all year long, as a seven-year-old, I adopted lies of I don't matter, I'm not worthy, it's best for me to be silent and quiet, and that is my place in the world. But you know what? That wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough to live that out. So as a third grader, I literally remember reinventing myself. How scary is that? That as an eight-year-old, because of ungodly beliefs I had believed, which now I know what they are. I didn't know that at seven. I didn't have anybody there to help me interpret that and bring God into the situation. But I literally would wake up as a third grader and say, all right, today, what am I going to do to be funny? What am I going to do to be the class clown? What am I going to do to get attention? Because the root was all, I'm unworthy, I don't matter, I don't have a place in this world. So real life situation, real life scenario, but ungodly interpretation and ungodly belief that empowered me to act in a way that was opposite of the way that Jesus Christ designed for me. Here we learn in John chapter 4 that God literally steps into our mess of life. Has anybody had Jesus step into the mess of their life here in this place? And how does, it, how does it feel? <laughs> My man right there, yes. <laughs> I agree. That's a spiritual woo right there. And that's what Jesus is in the business of that. Woo, the messier, right, the better. He puts on his spiritual boots and steps right on in. And Jeff talked about that this past weekend. So many times our belief and our mindset is like, Jesus, you don't want to come to my mess. You, you don't want to come to where I'm at. And Jeff reminded us that Jesus says, like, I will never leave you nor what? Forsake you. So guess what? You want, we're going there? All right, I'm going with you. That's the example he left for us just even this past weekend. So we know that Jesus is into that, into the business of that. Here's what I love. Is that Jesus at the woman at the well, the scenario, he comes up to her and says, hey, can I have a drink? Like, 
Can you imagine this woman? Like her mind being blown. Not only are you a Jew, you're not supposed to be here. You're a rabbi, you're talking to me. And now it seems like you're going to drink from my cup? Like, just imagine it. Like, I know a lot of times we don't do this and we don't put ourselves in the scenario or the story. But can you imagine if you're the woman and Jesus is like, hey, man, can, can I have a drink? And you're looking around like, you don't have a cup. You don't have a canteen. You're going to use my cup? And then Jesus intentionally does that to destroy the paradigm, to destroy her thinking around who she is and who he wants to be in her life. Because remember, she's always associated with men from a place of shame and condemnation and judgment. So even down to that little detail, Jesus is stepping into the mess of this woman's life. And here's the reality. It wasn't about the water. I mean, we know the story that Jesus is talking about, hey... I have water that you will never thirst again. I am the living water. But what it was about is Jesus wanted to enter into the secret places of her life. The places that she had kept confined. The one room in her house that she said no one is going to get to this room. Because out of the ungodly beliefs that she lived and out of the ungodly beliefs that we live, we embrace a false life. And then it becomes a vicious cycle in which we continue to embrace ungodly beliefs because there's no way we can now embrace the truth of who we really are. Because if someone really knew what I've done, if somebody really knew how I'm thinking, if somebody really knew what happened to me. Because the reality is ungodly beliefs don't always come from things that we've done. Sometimes it's because of scenarios that have happened to us from what people have done to us in our life. We've been innocent in innocent situations. We've been a victim. And Satan has come right alongside that scenario and sowed ungodly beliefs in our life. Here's the thing. Jesus wants to reveal the things that he wants to heal. And so a loving God full of grace and mercy will expose sin in our life. Not because sin impacts our right standing. Not because we are no longer righteous because of sin in our life. And I appreciate the message you shared this past weekend, Jeff. Because he just so clarified that for us. And if you didn't hear it. You need to go back, press rewind, and go back to Sunday and hear it. So our standing with Jesus is good. Nothing, nothing can change that because of the blood of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. It's a finished work upon the cross. But sin is literally missing the mark. And so when we embrace ungodly beliefs, there's, there's a destiny, there's a path, there's a purpose, there's a plan, there's something that God has for us. And God in his loving, infinite wisdom says, Torrance, I got to reveal this. Because, not because I want you walking in shame or condemnation, but because I have so much for you. And I want there to be healing. I want you to be whole in such a way that only a loving father can bring to you. And so right now tonight, it may not feel like the most loving thing of God stepping into your mess, of exposing like, hey, I I love you, I love you, I love you, and I'm going to be so patient If it takes two days, if it takes two months, if it takes two years, I'm right here. Nothing is changing. But you're missing what I have for you. There's so much more. If you only knew, yes, I love you. Yes, you're secure. But there's so much more that I have for you. When we embrace ungodly beliefs, we become literally what we believe. I had um, about six years ago. At this moment, I've had many of them, but there's this moment where it was a Saturday and my wife and my two kids were sleeping. And so I just got up to do my normal um, morning devotions and I just thought, hey, this is going to be a great time with God and the word. And he told me, open up to Psalm 139. So I did. And he starts walking me through each, each scripture. 
that he knows my ways, that he knows everything about me, that he hems me in before and behind and all around. And each verse is like a movie. Each verse he is stepping in with a fresh vision and perspective of who he is. And I get to the verse where he talks about it, and I'm going to read it. He says, where can I go from your spirit? This is David talking out. Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. And I am just absolutely, that song, Undone, you unwind me. I'm absolutely undone. One moment I'm like, I hope nobody comes out here because they're going to think I've lost my mind. It's not literally, I'm just pouring out. I'm just a wreck. And the reason is, is I was in such a season of darkness in my life, of missing the mark over and over and over again. And I was so bound in shame and condemnation that I felt there was no one that I could go to with the secrecy, the intimate places of my life. And in that moment when I read that scripture, that Jesus said, where can I go from your spirit? He said, Torrance, there is nowhere. There is nowhere that you can run that you can hide from me. He's saying, I don't care how far you run from my presence, I will always be with you. And then he shows me, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. And he shows me a picture of myself. And I remember it as clear as day. I'm wearing a flannel shirt. My sleeves are rolled up like this. It's tattered. I look like, um, like out of the, what is that, that West Side, the boys from West Side, the, the musical. Does anybody know that? I'm dating myself. West Side, what is it? West Side Story. Thank you. And I, I mean, I can, from the picture, I know it's how I see myself. As a kid not worthy of love, as someone that's just made too many mistakes, I might as well just be relegated to this life. And I see myself in this cave, and I'm literally rolling up a sleeping bag. I'm making this bed, and I'm in this dark pit, the depths of Sheol. And I look over my shoulder, and who's standing there? But Jesus. Who is standing there while I'm making my bed in the depths of Sheol, in the middle of my sin? But Jesus Christ, and guess what? He's not turning away. He's not saying I'll come back another time when you're done. He's standing there with open arms saying I love you. Like even now, even in the midst of this, my love for you has not changed. And what happens to a church when God gives them a picture of that kind of love, of the love that sent him to the cross so that we could have life everlasting. What happens is these numbers of 790%, of 400% are eradicated because people are set on fire by the love of Jesus Christ. Because people realize that they are Isaiah 61. That they are the ones who are to go bind up the brokenhearted. That you sitting there are the one to go and set the captives free. That who better than the bind up the brokenhearted, than someone that Jesus Christ has bound up their heart and has healed it with his kisses and his embrace of love. Who better to go after that person? And that's what Jesus wants to do in all of our hearts. He wants to set people free. He wants to set people free to go redeem this nation, this country for him. Here's what's so interesting, I didn't understand this, is God will not ask us to act differently until we think differently. Let me say that again. Too many religious circles, and I grew up in them. We are trying for behavior modification. 
I got to do this right. I got to obey the law. And never, ever does our thinking change. That's why in Romans 12, it says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing, which is an ongoing thing, a renewing of your mind. Then you will know what is the holy and acceptable will of God. Not just for this kingdom, but for your life. There's a renewing of the mind that has to take place. Willpower only works so long. I have experience working in prisons. I have experience working in treatment centers. I have experience counseling people. And you can do it all day long. But if the stinking thinking doesn't change, guess what? You're just white knuckling for three or four months. And then we're right back into the sin pattern. Because God wants to come and he wants to redeem our thinking. John chapter 5, I want to read this real quickly. We're almost done. This is a story of the healing at the pool of Bethesda. Has anybody been to Israel here? It's, if you have not gone, that needs to be on your, your list uh, before you see Jesus face to face. I am telling you. It's abs- just, just do it. Trust me. Uh, this is what it says in, in John chapter 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. And now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. And which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Here's what I think is really interesting about that. Is he actually could be older. We don't know. It doesn't say since birth for 38 years. So for 38 years he has been an invalid. When Jesus, who loves to encounter our junk, who steps into our mess saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool. When the water is stirred, while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat, and he walked. And so I want to point out this story because God first, when he steps into this picture, He says to this man, get up. Some versions say, rise. So for this man who had been there for 38 38 years, he had sat by this pool of Bethesda waiting for somebody to pick him up and put him in the water first so that he can be healed. Because that's the rule. You had to be the first person in the waters when they were stirred and then you could be healed. Jesus steps up and says, rise, get up. And I bring that point to you tonight because some of you are sitting here right now and you're saying, yeah, but, Torrance, if you only knew my situation. If you only knew the reason why I say no one loves me and I'm never wanted is you don't know what my father did. You don't know how my mom left. You don't understand the scenario and the situation. Because to you it seems impossible until Jesus steps in by your pool of Bethesda and says, rise, get up. And that is the will that God has for you. It's for you to rise, get up above the ungodly beliefs, above your situation, so that you can be whole. And the next thing that he does, which I absolutely love, is he says, rise. Then what does he say next? Anybody? Pick up your mat. And I was asking God for just a a, a while, like, What's the significant, like, why? Like, why in the world? Like, he could have just left it there. It's a nasty old mat. He, you know he's not washing it. He's been there for 38 years. The first thing I would do is probably leave the mat there, right? 
That's what we all would do. I'm leaving my nasty, stinky mat right here, and I'm out. Let's be honest. The reason why Jesus wanted him to trust him completely for who he was, his heart, and his character, and know that his healing was complete. He wanted him to say, pick up your mat because there is no more need for your space of 38 years. There is no more need for you to believe that these waters, when they are stirred, will bring healing because I am the everlasting life. I am the Lord that healeth thee. He wanted to make sure that there was no sense of you're going back. And I want to tell you, if you're anything like me, I have set up my life saying, God, redeem me. God, free me. But you know what? I got this little crutch just in case this doesn't work out. I'm saving this one little part, God, that nobody knows about because just in case. That is at the root of an ungodly belief. It's not trusting the heart and nature of who Jesus Christ is. And that's the whole goal. If Satan can get us to discredit who God is, what he says about us, what he says about situations, his heart and his nature, guess what? We're not setting anybody free. We're still in bondage ourselves. So Jesus told him, take up that mat. You're not going to need that anymore. And tonight somebody needs to go back and pick up that nasty, stinky mat and bring it with you. You don't need to lay on that anymore. You don't need to reserve your spot. You don't need to somehow have your Linus security blanket walking around with you anymore. Take a torch, light that thing on fire and be done. In Jesus' name. And then the last thing he tells him to do is take action. He says, rise, get up, pick up your mat, and then walk. And tonight, there's some, been some people, man, you know what? God's been working on you about your thinking. He's redeemed your thinking. But guess what? You're comfortable where you're at. Torrance, I love where I'm at. This has been really good. My thinking has changed. I feel a lot better. I have the joy of the Lord. Awesome. Right? That's great. But what about part two? Walk. Talk. Run. Preach. Reach other people. Step out in faith and courage. You make me brave. Step out on the waters where Jesus Christ is. Amen? So that's John chapter 5. God is calling us the same formula. Rise. Pick up your mat. And walk. He wants to do the impossible. He wants us burning bridges in the name of Jesus Christ. Here's the reality. If all the enemy has is lies to keep us from our destiny, then it serves true. That he will get us to operate on ungodly beliefs to keep us from the truth of ourselves, God, and what he has for us. Because Jesus wants to bring us into new encounters and new situations. Why? Does anybody know why he wants to bring us into new situations or new encounters? It's okay. It's kind of a trick question. It's all right. This is principle asking trick questions. It's because in the new situations and the new encounters, you can then embrace godly beliefs. Because you can step into a new situation. Because guess what? The enemy is going to bring up that old, like, who do you think you are right now to go pray over someone? Like, you don't operate in the same authority and power of Pastor J.R., so guess what God loves to do? In his own infinite wisdom and as a loving father, you, guess what? You have more problems. You're going to have more situations to pray for people. And when that ungodly belief comes up, whoop, oh, there's an ungodly belief. I'm taking that thought captive right now in the name of Jesus Christ. And what's the godly belief? God, what do you want to say to me? Because our loving father rejoices with us as we win victories. He is there cheering you on. Woo! Right, my man right there? Right? Cheering you on, saying, you got this. You, and if you fall down, get right back up. 
Mike and I were talking about this the other day. You know, when our little babies, our little toddlers fall down, I don't know if you did this, Mike, I didn't do it. I didn't say, sorry, silly baby, maybe tomorrow. <laughs> Darn. No, we're just like, oh my goodness, you took one step and then you fell nine times, way to go. Because that's the Father heart of God coming through us. And how much more does God love us and embrace us in the same way? Salvation that Jesus Christ provides for us, salvation comes from believing in Jesus. But the freedom that we need to transform our society, to bring the change to those beginning statistics that I talk about, comes from thinking like Jesus. Salvation comes from believing in Jesus, but then the freedom comes from thinking like Jesus. That's the renewing of the mind piece that he wants to bring up. So here's, how do you, how do, you do this? First thing that happened to me in Psalm 139 is I invited Jesus into the ungodly belief or the broken scenario or situation in my life. And guess what I found? He didn't need any convincing. <laughs> Matter of fact, that Saturday morning, I didn't even invite him. I didn't sit down at the table and have some eloquent prayer. Oh, thou Lord Jesus, would you please? He just came right on in. So whatever your scenario, whatever your situation is, invite Jesus into that situation. And say, God, what is, what is your perspective on this broken relationship, on this divorce that's about to happen in a month? What do you say about it? What do you say about me not having a job for six months and I feel like a failure? I feel like I've let my family down. I'm not the provider. I'm not there for them. What is your perspective on that situation? And then when he gives that to you, don't be silent. Don't be quiet. we got a bunch of quiet Christians. We need people to start opening up their mouths and speaking. So you start speaking that out over yourself. There's something about the power of spoken word. I, I grew up with a mom, a praying mom, one of those, those praying black mamas. Anybody know? You've maybe seen a movie or two? Okay. And I'm going to tell you, I used to think she was out of her mind. I would wake up in the morning and she's like, and Jesus, get them. Get Torrance. I pray you would just get on them. And I was like, oh, man. Go back downstairs and wait. But I'm going to tell you this. I stand here today because I'm a product of a praying mom. I stand here, yeah, we can give it up for that. That's the Lord Jesus doing that. But she wasn't silent. She spoke it out. And so many times for the renewing of the mind to take place, we need to hear ourselves saying it. We need to hear ourselves saying, I'm not a loser, Satan. You know who's the loser? You are. I'm a winner in Jesus Christ. He said, I'm the head, not the tail. And you just say it with whatever tone you want. But you speak it out over yourself. There's power in that. And then the next thing is this, that the enemy... He is the accuser of the brethren, and he is the father of all lies, right? So I can guarantee you this. If the enemy's speaking it, <laughs> God's truth is directly the opposite. So if you hear, man, you're not a daughter of God, and, man, when you walk in there, nobody loves you and likes you, you can hold your head high and say, I'm the apple of his eye. I'm chosen by him. I am a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I am set apart for him. You know what? He's got plans for me. I'm his. You, you speak it out because that's what God is saying. You say, Satan, I already know. Thanks for telling me, Satan, because I know what God says, and it's the opposite of what you're saying. So some of us need to start doing some spiritual jiu-jitsu. Anybody ever heard of jiu-jitsu? Yeah, yeah, martial arts. The power of jiu-jitsu is that when somebody comes at you with an attack or a move, you use their force and you use their momentum against them. So if they come at you with a punch, I'm not going to do it because I don't really know how to do it. But if they come at you with a punch... You take their momentum and use it against them to bring them into submission. So according to 2 Corinthians 10.5, we take every argument and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of Jesus Christ, right? 
and we make that thought captive to the obedience of who Jesus Christ says, we are who he is in this situation. So we take every thought that comes in, we're mindful of that. And we pull a little spiritual jujitsu on that. Thinking like Jesus did requires a constant renewing of the mind in Romans 12 that we really talked about. Here's the reality today, guys. Some things need to die. Things need to die. There's things in your life that need to die. There are things in, in scenarios and past situations that need, that need God to step into and they have to die. Because death always comes before a resurrection. You can't have a resurrection unless there's first a death. And so there's mindsets, there's old ways of living that Jesus is saying, like, now is the time for this to be crucified once and forevermore. And that's what happened with the woman at the well. Because in, in, in John chapter 4, 28, it says, after she encountered Jesus, after the conversation, after he actually exposed her, he said, go call your husband. Remember? And she's like, uh, I don't have one. He's like, mm, indeed, you do not. You have, you've had five, and the man you're living with right now is not even your husband. So she is like rocked with the truth that is met with nothing but love. And it says in verse 28 that she left her jar and then ran into the city to speak of the goodness of God. And I think that jar is very metaphorical. If this is a movie of her life, that's that moment that the camera pans to the jar. Because she was drinking from broken cisterns. Nasty water of the earth of this world that could never, ever satisfy. And once she encountered the true living water of Jesus Christ, she left that jar and then ran. And then in verse 42 it says this. That not only did she run, not only did she just talk to random people. I think if you guys listened two weeks ago, Corey talked about this. And it was so cool because God had shown me this like a month ago. I'm like, oh my goodness, you too, Corey, really cool. I had this moment. Then in verse 42, I've never seen this before except for like a month ago. It said that she went up to, does anybody know? She went up to the men. <laughs> Dude, how crazy is that? Like, here's a woman who's in the condemnation from men, shame, has to hide from them, that when God liberates her and sets her free, she comes up to the men like, you're never going to guess. Is this the Messiah? This is a man who told me all that I've ever done and yet still loves me. And here's the thing that I like, because God is the best producer and the best writer ever. I bet you she went up to some of the men that were some of the five. And they were like, oh. Oh, man, don't talk to me. What are you doing? Right? They're going to see. They're going to know. But here's the crazy part is that the story doesn't continue, but it does talk about the transformation of a whole city from one woman that everyone despised. And I, I, would, I would guess that just God and how he works, those men who were caught in sin as a result of that relationship were set free as well that day. That the woman encountered at the well, a man who knew everything that she had done and loved her just the same. Because that's the heart of who God is. And that when he sets you free, there's no more shame. There's no more condemnation. There's no more guilt. And he releases you into the very places that you never thought that you would once return. That's at the heart of who God is. I've got a clip that we're going to show. And before we, we show this clip, I'm just going to kind of set it up. Um, it is, a, a, it is a scene from Batman, so forgive me if you're not a Batman uh, person. I think you'll 
appreciate. This is a scene where Batman is in a dungeon and he is um, facing like all of death. And the bad person, the evil guy that put him in the dungeon is off gallivanting among Gotham. And Gotham is in all of ruins and no one is ever going to save Gotham except for Batman. Batman has been in this cave for uh, probably a couple of months. He started off, his back was broken. But he got stronger and he was getting stronger and he was getting stronger. But in order to get out of this cave, there's like this 100-yard climb that you have to make. And he's tried it time and time and time again, but he's never successful. He can't, he can't get out. Gotham, the city is in ruins. Lives are strewn all about. And Batman is in the cave and that's where we pick up this clip. So, Tim, if you can run that. You see, the, the power of that clip is he had tried so many times, 
40, 50 times. But he always had the rope attached to him. He always had the rope attached to him because just in case he didn't make it, at least he would fall and he would be safe and he wouldn't die. And every time prior, I'm not sure if you caught this as well, he always left his mat. He always left his bed. Just in case he didn't make it, he had a bed to sleep in. Just in case he didn't make it, his cell was just as it was before. And how many of us sitting here tonight, we fit that, that profile? That we've wanted to be free from ungodly beliefs. We've wanted to be free from situations or, or sin or things in our life where we've missed the mark. But we always have a, a backup plan. We have a rope that is around us. We still have our beds back in the prison cell just in case we don't make it out. But it's the rope that keeps us from finding the freedom and eventually calling, crawling out. It's the lack of faith that Jesus Christ can get us out of this pit, can deliver us from past scenarios and situations where we don't trust him that keeps us stuck in the prison. And I don't know if you caught this part, but when he grabbed the ledge... All of them cheered, all of them, yes, all of them, even though they were still in the hole. And why is that? Because prisoners all over this world, all over this nation, all over the city are cheering for one of us to make it out. They're cheering for someone that has escaped suicide to come back and tell them the way out. They're telling somebody that has gone through a divorce to tell them on the other side, you can find hope and relationship in Jesus Christ and in others. They're trying to say, if you can get out and then come back and tell me that I can actually go through abuse and still be whole on the other side of it. No one has told me that, but you have hope because you got out. And the key is this, that when he climbed out, took that rope off. And he threw it out, didn't he? Threw it out. So that the other prisoners can get free. Tim, if you can put up Isaiah 61.4 and if the band, you guys can come on up. Here's what I want to tell you tonight. Is that Jesus Christ desires for you to be free in the most painful, darkest area of your life. Because you very well may be the person to go back and set prisoners free. You may very well be the person to bind up the brokenhearted through the power of Jesus Christ. You very well could be the good news to the poor. Isaiah 61 says all that and more. But look at what it says in verse 4. Which if you're anything like me, we don't really read this verse. It says, after Jesus steps in and binds up the brokenhearted, after he proclaims good news to the poor, after the captives are free, then they, who, who in the world are they? It's everybody he was talking about in verse 3. Then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. Then they will raise up the former devastations. And they will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. That those he stepped into the broken situations, the jacked up, messed up, most horrific things you can imagine. He comes in the picture, he steps into your mess, he provides deliverance, he sets you free so that then you, Torrance, Jeff, Mike, put your name in there. Then you will rebuild the ancient ruins. 
then you will raise up the former devastations. Then you will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Then you will start to rebuild new legacies and new paths for your generations and for your families. It's those. It's, it's us. We are the solution to what God wants to do in this world. And the sooner we say, God, enough is enough, I want death to this scenario, the sooner he can say, I've been waiting for this. Run. Pick up that mat. Rise. Because guess what? There are other people who need this rope. There are other people who need you to throw it to them. And here's what's so crazy about this rope. Is in my life, God has used the thing that would entangle me and keep me in bondage, the exact thing to take off and to free other people. To say, you know what? I know where you're at. Yeah, this is the same rope, but guess what? God's now using it for this. And you know who doesn't like that? Satan. Woo, buddy. Because he thought he won. He thought he had found victory in that scenario. He had thought that he had won because you've just been harboring resentment or bitterness towards that parent or towards that sibling. But the minute those ropes come off, the minute those chains come off, and you say, you know what? <laughs> now other people are getting free. That's when we start to eradicate. That's when we start to see the kingdom of heaven coming down to this earth. Now. We don't have to wait for the kingdom to be manifested. We get to see it now. Through our brokenness, through God healing us now. So tonight I'm going to ask for everybody to stand all over this place. And we're just going to ask God to deliver, to go after some of this stuff. Because I believe here in, in this house tonight there are people that you would say, towards that, that's me. That you would say... I'm facing a scenario and a situation, whether it's been 20 years, whether it's been 10 years, whether it's been 10 months, where you find yourself in such bondage that your thinking is starting to come in alignment with the enemy, the accuser of your soul, the accuser of the brethren. Your thinking is, is literally conforming with him. There's some people that right now you know something that in you it has to go, it has to die. And you're so yearning for a new life. You're so yearning for resurrection. But you have not said, yes, this must die so that, God, you can raise me up. And then some of us today would say, you know, Torrance, I'm going to be honest. I, I'm 90% in, but I still got my mat over there just in case God doesn't heal me. Because I prayed before and he never came through. I got this over here just in case he thinks my sin is just too bad and I just can't get delivered from it. He wants to say today, pick up your mat. It's time to go. It's time to walk. I don't care if it's dirty, dingy, or whatever it looks like. It's time for us to say goodbye to the old things and the new. Guys, it, it's you. You are the solution. You are the key. You are the one that are Christians. You are little Christ to this world today. He wants to use you. He wants to use your story for his glory. Let's... Heavenly Father, we just come to you tonight. And God, we say, have your way in this house. God, I pray for a spirit of freedom and liberation right now to all people. Holy Spirit, will you move? Will you do your work? Will you bring to mind things that have been repressed and stuffed down, whether scenarios or situations, that Satan still has a stronghold? And we right now give you permission to enter that place. We right now say yes, God, to you. Right now, we say we are the ones that want to respond to you as you step into the mess of our life. 
We say we are the ones that want to pick up our mat, God. We're no longer saving places. We're no longer saying we want to return back to old ways. But we say we want to walk in the newness and in the strength and the power of your love and your grace and your mercy. We rebuke you, enemy, right now in the name of Jesus Christ. There is no more shame or condemnation because we are in Christ Jesus. And because we are in you, Christ Jesus, we no longer have to look over our shoulder because you have said, my blood has covered those things. Walk with me, child. Run with me, child. I have an amazing plan for your life, and I've got so much more. So tonight, God, all over this house, we choose you. We choose you. And we thank you, God, that you are going to redeem our households, that you are going to redeem our cities, that you are going to redeem this nation, and you are going to use the stories that are representation in this house to do it. You are going to set free people according to your will, according to your nature and your character, because you are a good, good God. You're a good, good God. And this is what you've been waiting for, God. And so we run to you and we choose you above all, all things in your name. The worship team is just going to continue to pray, uh, play, and I want to challenge you with this. So many times we want to sit back in our seat and we just want to say, man, God, I know you're speaking to me, but I'm comfortable here. And if that's you, I want to challenge you this. God is worth you stepping out. Because there's something about the stepping out that God says, oh, okay, I see it. They're, they're, they're willing to say, I don't care about the opinion of man. They're willing to step out from those ungodly beliefs. And that may be very well linked to your freedom. It may not. If God is telling you to sit there and talk to him right where you're at, then great. God may be saying to you, I need to go over somebody else and say, I don't even know how to get this off of me. I need prayer right now. All over this house are people that God wants to use, that God has set free, that are equipped right now to go get other prisoners and say, hey, I know the way out. I got the key. And we'll pray with you. This is what it's about. This is what it's about. God is awakening our spirits right now so that he can do the work that he wants to, so that he can shine for all the world to see. He wants to use broken vessels and cisterns to display his glory. Because guess what? We don't get the credit when he steps up and when he does that. It's all him. It's all his spirit and it's all his power. And that's what he wants to do tonight. So if God is moving in your heart, as the worship continues to play, step out in faith. Get into an aisle. Get on your face. Find other people because God wants to release freedom right now in his house.